What if a person doesn't accept the authority of the Bible? How do we talk to them about homosexuality then? We're going to talk about that today on BibleStudyPodcast.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Wednesday, April the 16th, 2008, and I'm your host, Toby Logsdon. Of course, on Wednesdays, we do cultural issues and apologetics, and for the last few weeks, what we've been doing is a study on homosexuality, which is going to be uh, probably a four-part series, maybe Maybe even a fifth lesson, I don't know for sure, but we are for sure going to have at least four lessons, including this one today. So I hope you guys are having a great week. I got a great email yesterday, and I guess it just kind of took me by surprise, but I got an email from a man in China, and of course, you know, I've been talking a little bit about China in our Romans studies the past couple of weeks, but anyway, I got this email from a guy in China who heard one of our Romans lessons and accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. So praise the Lord for that. Man, it's it's amazing to know that the Lord is using this ministry to reach people around the world world the way that he is. Because honestly, I I never saw it coming. I just never saw it coming. This was just going to be something that I just do out of my house and just kind of for fun. So praise the Lord for that. I am also excited because next week we are looking at putting our house on the market. Of course, we're going to be moving to either Arkansas or Missouri, uh, most likely Arkansas, Northwest Arkansas, to plant a church with my friend Brian and his family. And uh, of course, they sold their house after just three days on the market. Praise the Lord for that. And I'm just hoping that the Lord does the same thing with our house. That would definitely be a blessing, but you know, it's in his hands. And so I'm trusting in him to do with it what he will. So anyway, if you guys could be in prayer for me about that, we're looking at listing our house next week and we definitely need prayers. And like I said on Monday, we also need prayers about finding people to, uh, to join us in Arkansas. We need a core group to you know, start this church with us. We need somebody to be in charge of music. We need some people to be involved with music. We need youth leaders. We need all kinds of stuff. But, uh, you know, again, we're putting this in the Lord's hands and trusting that he will do with it what he will. It's his project. So we're really putting it in his hands. But if you guys could pray for us for that, I would definitely appreciate it. But let's go ahead and get started with our lesson today. Now, today's lesson is called Responding Logically to Pro-Homosexual Arguments. And there are actually, you know, several arguments that we've all heard over and over again in favor of homosexuality. And if you're not familiar with them, you know, have a listen to what I have to say today, and then maybe ask somebody in middle school or high school if they've ever heard any of these arguments. Because the fact is, there is an indoctrination going on in our country, and it is rampant in our public schools. And many evangelical Christians, they just don't know what to say as the people around them are accepting this indoctrination without questioning 
any of the arguments. And if you want a thorough breakdown of the arguments for gay rights, gay marriage or homosexuality in general, and you want to see how to refute them, I would strongly, strongly, strongly encourage you to visit Dr. Frank Turek's website at www.impactapologetics.com. He was one of my uh, ethics professors last summer, and man, he has a lot to teach. But anyway, if you go to his website, impactapologetics.com, all the way down on the left-hand side, you'll find a link to a section called freebies. And if you click on that, you'll find this big uh, PDF file on homosexuality. That's that's what you'll be looking for. And it is a thorough rebuttal to every single pro-homosexuality argument that you will find out there. And, you know, if you stumbled across this podcast and are pro-gay marriage or pro-gay rights or, you know, pro-homosexuality, you know homosexuality, I only ask that you listen to this with an open mind. As I've said in our previous lessons here, I do not hate gay people. I do not support hating gay people. I do not align myself with people who hate homosexuals. My goal here is just to show the love of Jesus to anyone in the world who, at least up to this point, has rejected or hasn't experienced his amazing love. And one final thing to make note of is that while I know that our ministry is called Bible Study Podcasts, today... We aren't going to use the Bible in this lesson at all. The fact is that while the Bible does reveal truth to us and is the standard of truth against which all things must be measured, the natural law will also demonstrate the fact that homosexuality is wrong and should not be practiced. And as the source of inspiration of Scripture, uh, you know, which is special revelation, the Holy Spirit is also the inspiration of the natural law, which is general revelation. So while our goal is to get people to accept the Bible as God's infallible word, the reality is that if somebody, you know, rejects the authority of scripture, then quoting the Bible isn't going to demonstrate for someone that homosexuality is wrong or immoral. But God is the author of reason and logic, so we can use those means to demonstrate the fact that there are no valid arguments for homosexuality. So let's go ahead and get started with that. The first argument that I want to tackle is that homosexuals deserve equal rights. We've probably all heard that. The argument goes something like this. The Constitution gives all people equal rights. Homosexuals should have the same rights as heterosexuals, right? Well, in response, I would have to argue that everyone in America does have equal rights. We have the right to marry somebody of the opposite sex. Everybody has that right. The United States Constitution actually says nothing at all about homosexual practice or uh, gay marriage. Nobody is trying to deprive a homosexual of their constitutional rights. So why are we saying that homosexuality shouldn't be practiced? Well, there are actually several reasons. Uh, First of all, studies have demonstrated that practicing homosexuals have increased health risks and health problems. In the book Homosexuality and the Politics of Truth, medical doctor Jeffrey Satinover reports that practicing homosexuals are much more likely to contract AIDS or other sexually transmitted diseases, and they're also much more likely to contract colon or rectal cancer or hepatitis. So therefore, practicing homosexuals not only put themselves at much greater risk of having, you know, some pretty dangerous health issues, but further by doing so, they need more medical coverage than the average person and thus they drive up health insurance premiums and they need more social welfare aid. Secondly, studies have shown that the average homosexual lives 20 to 30 years less 
than the average person. In fact, in a study conducted by several medical doctors, they found out that the median age for a practicing homosexual to die was in their mid-40s. Their mid-40s. Friends, this is not a figment of my imagination. I am not making this up. You can read this study for yourself. It's called The Longevity of Homosexuals Before and After the AIDS Epidemic, and it was published in the Omega Journal of Death and Dying, Volume 29, Number 3, pages 249 to 272. That's all the information you need to look it up yourself. This is not a figment of my imagination. The median homosexual age of death is in the mid-40s. If it's immoral to encourage people not to practice homosexuality, then it's also immoral to encourage people not to commit suicide. So if you think it's immoral to encourage people not to commit suicide, then we're not on the same page at all. Uh, And let's go out and have some pizza and talk about football or something. Third, homosexuality reduces the institution of marriage to nothing more than coupling, which is something that gay rights advocates have conceded. However, they argue that marriage is also nothing more than coupling either. Well, that's wrong. Heterosexual marriage is good for society, whereas we know empirically that homosexual marriage will destroy a society's foundations. The country of Norway, for example, they legalized gay marriage years ago. I think, uh, what, 13 years ago, 14 years ago now? And as a result of marriage now being viewed as nothing more than coupling, get this, 50% of the children being born in Norway are being born to single unwed mothers compared with the rate of approximately 30% prior to the acceptance of gay marriage in Norway. Now, I'm getting a little bit off on a tangent here, but but clearly we are not saying that homosexuals don't deserve the same rights. The fact is that they do have equal rights, but what they're asking for is special privileges, and nobody gets unmerited special privileges in a fair and just country, which is what we, you know, what we're supposed to have here. So a second argument that you might hear is that the church is telling the state how to define what's right and wrong, and it's wrong to legislate morality. How many times have you heard that, that it's wrong to legislate morality? Well, this was probably the main argument that uh, that got sodomy laws removed. But in response, first of all, it's impossible. It is impossible not to legislate morality. Every law in existence is based on some moral principle. Why do we have laws against uh, stealing, for example? Well, because it's immoral to take something that rightfully belongs to someone else. Why do we have laws for wearing seatbelts? Well, because the government has the moral obligation to enact laws which significantly increase the odds of a person surviving a, a, a car accident. You know, every law is based on morality. And the only way to avoid legislating morality is to have anarchy, but even anarchy is based on morality, since an anarchist would say that it's not the government's place to tell people what to do. What's that? You're saying it's immoral to impose morality? Aren't you imposing your morality on me by saying that then? Anyway, secondly, not all churches do oppose homosexuality. So if we're going to take this argument to its logical conclusion, does that mean that churches that accept homosexuality should also have no influence on the state? Well, if we're being fair, that is what it means. Third, the church also says that murder is wrong. Does that mean that the state should avoid passing laws against murder? (laughs) 
I think we can all agree that that would uh, that would be a very bad thing. So of course not. So the response to this is not to say that we shouldn't legislate morality, but rather we should pose the question: whose morality should be legislated? And the answer to that is the morality which brings about the greatest amount of good. Based on you know some of the statistics I just gave you a few minutes ago, I think it's clear to see that anyone who accepts homosexuality does not have the public's best interests in mind, or they just don't know the facts. Now, moving on to uh, the third argument that you might hear. A third argument that you might hear is that homosexuals are a minority, just like Hispanics, African Americans, etc., etc. In other words, this argument is basically asserting that uh, if somebody opposes homosexuality as an acceptable lifestyle, they're basically uh, prejudiced, or they're, they're a bigot. So, in response, I would say that homosexuals are not a minority group of people. They're not a group of people at all, just like heterosexuals aren't a group of people. Uh, you know, if we were to classify people based on their sexual behaviors, then should we not also classify pedophiles as a minority? Or what about people who practice bestiality? Are they a minority too? Of course not. This is, you know, you could you could take it to an, an extreme logical end, and it becomes ridiculous. Secondly, it's possible for a person to turn away from a homosexual lifestyle, but have you ever heard of somebody from a legitimate minority being reformed or being turned away from what they were before? You know, that's a completely ridiculous thought that demonstrates clearly that homosexuals are not in the same class or category as legitimate minority groups such as Hispanics, African Americans, and so on. Homosexuality is a choice, but the color of a person's skin is not. Third, the color of a person's skin doesn't harm society at large, whereas sexual behaviors can and do. And that's something we've seen, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. Moving on, a fourth argument that we actually heard in last week's uh, Q&A lesson, which you know I'll include here since some of you might not have listened to that lesson, is that um, we find animals in nature practicing homosexuality, so it must be a natural practice. And if you heard my response there, it's the same response here. You know, in response, first of all, just because an animal has a certain behavior doesn't mean that we should be doing that behavior. We shouldn't be doing the same thing, necessarily. Some animals eat their young. Some animals eat their own feces. Uh, you know, you can take it to its logical end and demonstrate that just because an animal does something doesn't mean that we have to do it. If we can justify our behavior by saying that animals do it too, then we can justify any behavior we wish. Further, if all of a certain species of animal were homosexual, well, they wouldn't have a generation to follow. So if there was a genetic pattern, just hypothetically, if there was a genetic pattern in an animal's DNA which inclined them to be homosexual or to, to engage in homosexual practice, then it would have micro-evolved out of the species, just like if you know there was a breed of animal that didn't have reproductive organs. You know That also would have micro-evolved out of the species. So anyway, that's not a legitimate argument to say that it happens in nature. So a fifth argument uh, that we've probably all heard is, you know, so what if somebody else wants to be a practicing homosexual? How does that hurt you? We've probably all heard that. But in response, we've already seen that accepting homosexuality will lead to an increase in fatherless children. So the question can be answered by really pointing to what happens to children who grow up without a father or grow up without a solid family unit. First of all, males who grow up without a father account for at least 60% 
of America's rapists. Secondly, 63% of the youth suicides in this country are children who grow up in broken homes. Children from a married household are actually more than six times less likely to commit suicide than children from broken homes. Third, 70% of the prison inmates in the United States were once children who were raised in a broken home. Children from married households are less than half as likely to end up committing violent crimes as adults. Fourth, 71% of teenage pregnancies are from girls who come from a broken home. It's necessary for a young girl's emotional well-being to have both a father and a mother raise them. The father and mother play crucial roles in, you know, in the lives of both, uh, you know, boys and girls. They both need them. They both need the different characteristics that a mother and father bring to the picture. Fifth, 72% of the adolescent murders in the United States are accounted for by children who come from broken homes. Sixth, children from broken homes account for 85% of children with behavioral disorders and 85% of children in youth prisons. 85%! That's huge! And finally, uh, our our last statistic here is that 90% of the children who run away are brought up in a broken home. They're running away from a broken home. You know, and and one other thing we might add is that children from never-married homes will, on average, spend 51% of their childhood in poverty, compared with 7% of children from married households. That's a huge difference. And and therefore, you know, never-married homes require more social welfare than married households. So how does someone being a homosexual hurt me? What harm does it do to me? Well, if nothing else, it costs me tax dollars because it you know, directly causes crime rates to increase, as we've seen. It causes health insurance premiums to go up. So really, it hurts not just me, but it hurts everybody. It hurts society at large as well. And one final fact that I want to throw out there before we bring this to a close is that in the Netherlands, where homosexuality is is rampant, the average homosexual who claims to be in a, quote, loving, committed relationship, unquote, has over seven separate sex partners per year. Seven separate sex partners yearly. And as a result, even though, you know, in the in the Netherlands they do have these intense HIV awareness campaigns, 86% of new HIV cases in the Netherlands are homosexuals who are in these so-called loving, committed relationships. You know, the natural law demonstrates that homosexuality is not a morally acceptable lifestyle, and when a society accepts homosexuality, when they just turn their head the other way and accept it, history teaches us that the whole society will pay for it. So if a person wants to argue with you about gay rights or about, you know, homosexuality in general, and they reject the authority of the Bible, you do still have a leg to stand on because the natural law is just as effective in showing that homosexuality should not be accepted. It should not be condoned. But anyway, you know, that's that's our lesson for today. And again, if you want more information on this, I would greatly encourage you to go to impactapologetics.com and click on freebies on the bottom left-hand side, and you'll find a huge, you know, huge PDF file with all kinds of information on this stuff. And like I said, you know, the day of silence is coming up in our public schools. Let's have a response to it. Let's have some facts. Let's have a way to say, hey, you know, we don't accept this. We love you guys, but we don't accept what you do. 
So that's just my opinion. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope this has been a blessing to you. I will see you guys next week on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus. Who could hold a measure to you? This lesson has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcasts.org, a paraministry of Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which is a nonprofit listener-supported ministry based in Monroe, North Carolina. While our desire is that your primary giving be done with your local church, if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry, we do depend on your support to keep our ministry going and growing. If you feel the Lord calling you to support our ministry, you can go to BibleStudyPodcasts.org org and click on support on the right hand side you can make a tax deductible donation from there by doing so you'll be helping us to reach multitudes of people each and every month from around the world who just like yourself desire to find answers and meaning in scripture we thank you for listening today and we pray that the lord blesses you and draws you closer to him keep growing closer to jesus